Let's open in prayer. But before that, I just want to say how thankful we are once again as a family to be here with you all after a period of eight months. Who's counting, right? It's always uh, good to be here. Uh, we, we keep saying it's, uh, it's our home away from home. So, so wonderful to see everybody. And it's always a bonus to see people. I know, uh, you know, folks here travel a lot. And so it's so good to see some of the folks that we haven't seen in a while. And, uh, uh, just uh, so blessed to be here this morning, to be worshiping the Lord with you all, and now looking forward to hearing what the Lord has uh, for us this morning through our dear brother. So let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious God, a loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Father, for your amazing love toward us and all that you have done for us, Father, reminding us once again of uh, your amazing love toward us, uh, your love that is beyond our understanding, the love that caused thee to give thy only begotten Son, your beloved Son, our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you for him, for his sacrifice, for him leaving the glories of heaven to come down into this sin-stricken world to die, to take our place on the cross, to become that Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. How we thank you, Father, not only for his death, his burial, but also for his resurrection. And uh, we live because he lives. And how we thank you for that precious truth that we have eternal life, believing in him, Father. We once again thank you for the privilege of gathering us together as a body of believers here uh, in Maitland. Uh, thank you for this uh, assembly. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for every individual, every family that's represented here, Father. Pray that you would continue to bless each one as we Live to honor and glorify thy name as your word is uh, preached and proclaimed uh, from this very place. And so, Father, once again, we thank you for every individual, every family here. Pray that you would continue to bless each one. We uh, we now pray for those who are not well, uh, as was mentioned earlier, that some that are struggling with health issues. Lord, we thou knowest each one. And we pray that you would uh, strengthen and that you would uh, draw them nigh unto yourself even through the various circumstances of life, the, the situations that they might be going through, Father. So we commit our time to you this morning as we sit under the sound of thy word. We pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, O God. Pray that the Holy Spirit would remind us, uh, Lord, uh, if we need a remembrance from thy word. Pray that, uh, that your word would convict us of sin if that needs to happen. That you would encourage us, Father, if we are... If we are in need of encouragement, even this morning we pray. We thank you for our young brother, Jonathan. Thank you for his willingness, Lord, to spend time in thy word and in preparation and in prayer. And even now to bring forth your word to us. We pray that your special blessing be upon your servant. We thank you for him and his willingness. Pray that you would use him, Father, for your honor and glory, even this morning as we uh, sit in thy presence. Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts and thou knowest our needs and pray that you would speak through thy servant, that the Holy Spirit would um, speak to each one of our hearts, even through your word and that you would take your servant to do so even this morning, Father. Once again, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you once again for this Lord's day. We, if thy coming tarries, we pray that you would uh, continue to guide us in the remainder of our meetings this week, that in all this, Lord, that your name would be honored and glorified. We pray for the Sunday school that is happening in the back. We think of our Sunday school teachers and pray for the Sunday school 
ministry as well, Father, that in all this, that your name would be honored and glorified, and that our children, especially those who do not know you, would come to know you, but those who do know you, that they would be edified, that they would be built up in their most holy faith. Once again, we come at our time to you. We give you thanks and praise, and pray this prayer in the blessed name of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Morning. Um, the passage I have this morning is Acts 21, 1 through 36. And if you're following along on your phone, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. Um, I will be reading the whole passage at some point. But before we get into that, I would like to give you a bit of background so that you know uh, you have a better idea of what's going on. Um, so this is still part of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, this is where he visits Jerusalem. Um, so I'll be taking him from Ephesus all the way to Jerusalem um, this morning. And um, Paul is currently bringing a gift to the poor saints of Jerusalem. This gift has been collected by the Gentile churches. Um <clears throat> And I want to go ahead and take a look at some of the destinations that Paul visits during this journey um, or, or passes by um, so that you have a better idea of where Paul is and what these places mean to him. Okay, so um, as mentioned, um, Paul is starting off in Ephesus. Um, Brother Steve Manda uh, talked about that visit last week. Then he moves on to the island of Kos, or Kos. I don't know how that's actually pronounced. Next up is the island of Rhodes. Um, actually, um, my version just says Rhodes, so it could be um, the island of Rhodes or the city of Rhodes. It's probably both. Um, this Rhodes, the city, was the capital of the island at that time. Um, now, Paul may have actually seen some of the ruins of the Colossus of Rhodes, uh, which was a giant statue of the Greek god Helios, um, and it was one of the seven wonders of the world. The Colossus was built before Paul was born, it also collapsed partially before Paul was born due to an earthquake, but parts of it were preserved until uh, 653 A.D. So Paul may have actually seen that um, as he visited Rhodes. Next up is Patara, which is now part of modern-day Turkey. And then um, we're told that Paul passes Cyrus... Uh, sorry, Cyprus, on the south. They don't actually go to Cyprus during this visit, but they pass by it. Um, Paul would have actually been quite familiar with this island because in Acts 13, he had preached the gospel throughout the whole island. Um, and this is also where he encountered um, Elymas, the sorcerer. 
Next up, they get to Tyre, which is now part of modern-day Lebanon. Um, Paul would have been familiar with stories of this city. Um, the history of Tyre goes back to 2000 BC. Um, as some of you uh, may recall, um, King Hiram of Tyre was actually the one who provided Solomon with a lot of the materials for the temple in Solomon's time. Um, and also, Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was at one time the king of Tyre and Sidon. Another interesting tidbit about Tyre is that um, Alexander the Great of Macedonia, um, so, so Tyre was, Tyre is a peninsula now, but it wasn't always. Tyre was actually built partially on an island and partially on the mainland, directly next to the island. Um, but Alexander the Great of Macedonia in 332 BC um, actually destroyed the mainland part of the city and then pushed the rubble into the ocean so that he could uh, form a peninsula and get to the island more easily. Um, and this happened before um, Paul's time, so that may have been a story that he was familiar with. Next up is Ptolemaeus. Um, not to be confused with the Ptolemaeus that's in Libya. This is um, actually now part of Israel. Um, and it, the control of Ptolemaeus changed hands a few times, and it's now called the city of Akko. Um, then they reached Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea was built by King Herod a decade or two before the birth of Christ. Uh, yeah, the birth of Christ. Um, it would have been a major port city, and it was also intended to be the administrative hub of all of the region of Judea. And finally, of course, we reach Jerusalem. Um, Paul actually grew up in Jerusalem. Um, we don't know exactly how much of his childhood he spent there but he tells us that he grew up there um, even though he was born in Tarsus and uh, he had visited there several times since his conversion. Now, the, the names of the, these places may not mean a whole lot to us, but most, if not all of them, would have been familiar to Paul. He had visited some of them before. Um, and in chapter 21 of Acts, we're going to see that while Paul had multiple occasions to just end his journey and decide, you know what, I'm done. I just want to hang out with these brothers and sisters in Christ or my friends or whoever. Um, you know, he also could have decided, well, I'm getting all these warnings from the Spirit about you know, going to Jerusalem. So let me just end my journey. But he never did that. He never lost focus of his mission to spread the word in Jerusalem and to present his gift to the saints there. So um, I'm about to read the passage, but um, just so that we recall where we left off last week, um, Paul is now leaving the Ephesian elders, and he has just told them that he will never see their face again. The Ephesian elders are all crying over him. Um, they've just escorted him to the ship, and that's where we pick up in um, chapter 21. So... Chapter 21, verses 1 through 36. After we tore ourselves away from them and set sail, we came by a direct route to Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. 
Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre because the ship was to unload its cargo there. So we found some disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were over, we left to continue on our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, escorted us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said goodbye to one another. Then we boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them one day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied it, uh, sorry, tied his own hand, feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into Gentile hands. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped talking and simply said, The Lord's will be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us to Nassan, a Cypriot, an early disciple um, with whom we were to stay. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related in detail what God did among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses by telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk in our customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have obligated themselves with a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that what they were told about you accounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering for each of them would be made. As the seven days were about to end, the Jews from Asia saw him in the temple complex, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has profaned this holy place, where they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple complex. The whole city was stirred up, and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple complex, and at once the gates were shut. As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. 
Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the mob were shouting one thing and some another. Since he was not able to get reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taken into the barracks. When Paul got to the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the mob's violence, for the mass of people followed, yelling, Take him away. Okay, um, I'm going to take a closer look at some of the verses that stand out, and I'll, I'll primarily skip over the verses where he's just traveling because we've already touched on that. Um, first off, there's a few interpretations of verse 4, um, and I'll go over what those interpretations are, and I'll offer some comments about um, the validity of those um, interpretations. So in verse 4, we see Paul is in Tyre. He finds some disciples, and it says, Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Um, Some people believe that Paul is actually in direct defiance of the Holy Spirit here. They believe that um, the Spirit was commanding Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And a very literal reading of this verse might lend itself to that interpretation. Um, If this interpretation is true, um, it would not have been the first time that Paul was told not to enter a particular area. In Acts 16, Paul was actually barred from entering Asia um, by the Holy Spirit. But this this interpretation raises some questions. Paul had the Holy Spirit too, so why did these disciples need to give Paul a warning? Um, it doesn't seem like Paul, like the Holy Spirit used a middleman when Paul was barred from Asia in Acts 16. Um, another question stems from Acts 21.13, um, which we've just read. It says, um, Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This doesn't sound like someone who wanted to openly defy the Holy Spirit. Um, And a final question, in verse 11 of chapter 21, we see that um, Agabus warns Paul about what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. But it doesn't say that Agabus told him not to go. Um, So why would the Holy Spirit not have used this opportunity as well to warn Paul not to go, if that's what the Holy Spirit wanted? A second interpretation is that Paul wasn't actually sure that these disciples were inspired. Um, This leaves us with some of the same questions that arise from the first interpretation. Um, Also, if Paul doubted that these believers were inspired, then what led Luke to be so confident that he actually recorded that they were inspired? Um, The third interpretation is that these disciples were inspired by the Spirit to be concerned about Paul's safety, but it was not the Holy Spirit telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. In other words, these disciples had inspired concern about Paul, and so they asked Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
And this interpretation seems to line up more with the surrounding text, including Acts 19.21. Acts 19.21. When these events were over, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. Um, After I've been there, he said, I must see Rome as well. So we see that Paul has resolved before even going to Jerusalem uh, he has resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. So in my view, the third interpretation here, or something similar to that, uh, makes the most sense. Um, okay. So then let's take a look at Paul's visit with Philip the Evangelist, um, which we see in verse 8 of chapter 21. Um, the next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This was not Philip the Apostle. It was a different Philip. Um, and the seven being referred to here were seven men who earlier in Acts were appointed in the early days of the Jerusalem church to handle financial matters. Um, you can actually read about this in Acts 6, 1 through 6. Um, You can also read about this Philip evangelizing in Samaria if you go to Acts chapter 8. But um, let's continue with Paul's journey here. Um, Verse 10 of 21. While we were staying there many days, a prophet Agabus came down from Judea. Um, So we see that Paul is staying with Philip for many days. And this may seem odd given that Paul is in such a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Um, So, and also Paul had only stayed with the believers in Ptolemaeus for one day. So why is he staying with um, Philip for so long? Luke doesn't mention this, but it's probable that Paul and his companions traveled from from Ptolemaeus to Caesarea by the same boat they had used to cross the Mediterranean. So until Paul got to Caesarea, the lengths of his stops were predetermined by the shipping schedule. This wasn't Paul's ship. He just just was along for the ride. Um, So when Paul finally got to Caesarea, he may have needed a break from all the traveling, but we also know that Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, and we can read this in Acts 20, verse 16. Um, Acts 20, verse 16 says... For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. So um, it seems like what probably occurred is that Paul actually arrived within striking distance of Jerusalem well before Pentecost, and so he was waiting for Pentecost to happen. Um, So Paul's stay here was likely an attempt to arrive at what he believed would be a strategic time. Um, Jumping back to verse 9 of chapter 21, um, we see that Philip actually has four virgin daughters who prophesied. Um, One of the commentaries I was looking at points out that Um, nothing is mentioned about what they 
prophesy. And so if Luke had been in the habit of making up fictional stories, this would have been the perfect time for him to insert whatever he wanted, but he didn't do that. Um, so someone reading through the book of Acts with a secular worldview, this verse should bolster the credibility of Luke's writing. Um, it's possible that Philip's daughters were actually giving Luke some source material for the books he was writing. Um, it's possible that they were giving Paul another warning about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Um, we just don't know for sure. Um, in verses 10 through 14, we read about the prophet Agabus and his warning to Paul. This is the same Agabus who prophesied in Acts 11 that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. Uh, here in Acts 21, though, um, he takes Paul's belt, he ties himself up with it, and he warns Paul that the Jews of Jerusalem will bind Paul and hand him over to the Gentiles. After hearing this warning, the believers in Caesarea and Paul's own companions beg him not to go to Jerusalem, but Paul is still not dissuaded. Um, it's important to note that Paul did take these warnings seriously. Um, he knew that his arrival in Jerusalem would not be a welcome one. And we can see this in Romans 5, 30-32. Romans 5, 30-32. Uh, sorry, this must be a typo here. Sorry, what was that? Possibly. Yes, uh, sorry. Romans 15, 30 through 32. Now I appeal to you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to join with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that the gift I am bringing to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. So um, he's asking to be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. He knows that something bad is going to happen. Um, we can also see that Paul knows about the danger if we read Acts 20, um, 22 through 24. Acts 20, 22 through 24. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me, but I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of God's grace. So, um, verses 22 and 23 here, Depending on how you read this verse, this, these two verses rather, um, it may seem at first glance like Paul is saying, um, you know, I'm getting all these warnings from the Holy Spirit about bonds and afflictions, but I don't know what's going to happen. 
I think a better reading of the verse would be, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I do know that at the very least I'll have bonds and afflictions because the Spirit has told me as much. Um, Anyway, after that, um, Paul leaves Caesarea, and some of the believers at Caesarea come with him. They make the journey to Jerusalem by road, and it's about 65 miles. Um, Paul's companions took him to the home of Nassan, and apparently not everyone in the Jerusalem church would have been actually prepared to have Paul and some of his Gentile companions um, to stay as house guests at Pentecost. But um, one of the commentators I was looking at was saying that apparently the, the believers from Caesarea knew that Nassan in particular would be willing to do this. That's why they brought him to, to Nassan. Um, Paul was greeted warmly here, and then the next day... He met with James and all the elders in the Jerusalem church. Um, Paul spoke to them about his ministry with the Gentiles, and this was probably also where Paul presented the gift that he had collected for them uh, from the Gentile churches. Now, when we looked at Romans 5, we saw that Paul was concerned that the Jerusalem church would not accept his gift. So why why was he concerned? The church in Jerusalem was increasingly being caught between their allegiance to the nation of Israel and the brotherly relation to Paul's Gentile mission. By accepting a gift that was collected from the Gentile churches, they would be identifying themselves more closely with that mission and possibly drive another wedge between them and their countrymen. The Jerusalem church had already accepted a similar gift before, uh, and they had already declared their fraternal relationship with Paul But at this time, there was increasing Jewish nationalism, and it was becoming more difficult to show solidarity with the Gentile mission if the Jerusalem church wanted to maintain opportunities for outreach. Um, But in verses 20 through 24 of Acts 21, we see that the church in Jerusalem responded to Paul's message with praise to God. Um, They also presented a plan to Paul that they believed would solve some problems for all of them. Um, There were four men who had taken some sort of Jewish vow, um, and the elders suggested that Paul purify himself along with them. Um, And many Jews in Israel had been told that Paul was teaching Jews to abandon Moses and their Jewish customs. Um, If Paul were to go through with this purification, the hope was that it would be evident that Paul wasn't trying to teach Jews to abandon these things. Um, In addition, it would make it easier on the church there to openly support Paul. Um, This would allow them to more easily affirm their connection with Paul without upsetting their fellow Jews. Um, And in verse 26, we see that Paul actually goes along with this plan. Unfortunately, Paul's attempt to pacify the Jews did not prove very successful, as we can see in the rest of the chapter. Um, In verses 27 through 29, we read that the Jews from Asia see Paul in the temple complex and seize him, saying, 
Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has profaned this holy place. And we're also given the parenthetical right here in Acts that these Jews had seen Paul in Jerusalem with Trophimus, the Ephesian, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple area. Um, and of course, the problem with this in their eyes was that Trophimus was a, uh, a Gentile convert. He was not um, a Jew. Um, so some background on why this was a big deal. Um, at the temple at this time, there was actually a court of the Gentiles and a barrier separating that area from the inner courts or the holy place, which was reserved only for the Jews. The barrier had signs in both Greek and Latin uh, spaced out at regular intervals, warning foreigners not to enter the holy place. One of those signs was actually found in 1871, and it's being held at the Istanbul Archaeology Museum. Um, And the inscription there reads in English, um, No foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and embankment around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which follows. Needless to say, this was a very serious matter for the Jews. Um, However, it's a little absurd to think that Paul would have actually brought a foreigner into the temple given that he was currently in the process of going out of his way to appease the Jews. Why would he have flouted the Jewish law in this this way? It doesn't make sense. Uh, The rest of the passage describes Paul's arrest. A riot starts. The Jews start beating Paul. Uh, The Roman commander of the regiment hears about the riot, so he comes down with some soldiers to see what the fuss is all about. Uh, He takes Paul into custody so that he can try to get some answers about what's going on and who Paul is. Uh, He can't get any straight answers, so he takes Paul to the barracks, and the crowd is so violent that the soldiers have to carry Paul out of there. Um, The last verse of the passage tells us that people are shouting, take him away. Uh, This is not the first time in Luke's writings that we've actually seen this phrase. Um, We also see it in the life of Jesus. If you go to Luke 23... Luke 23:18 Then they all cried out together, "Take this man away, release Barabbas to us." So in the same way that the Jews in Luke 23 wanted Jesus dead, the Jews here in Acts 21 wanted the apostle Paul dead. And these parallels between Paul and Jesus actually occur throughout the entire chapter of Acts 21. Um, In verse 11, Paul was told by Agabus the prophet that he was going to be subject to a plot by the Jews and that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Uh, We see this play out in the end of the chapter. Paul is accused of wrongdoing by the Jews, even though he is innocent of the charges, and then he's handed over to the commander of the regiment, who is a Gentile. Similarly, Jesus had committed no wrong, but he was handed by the Jews over to Pilate, who was also a Gentile. Um, We also see 
here in um, Acts that Paul is given three warnings about what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Um, we've actually already read all three of the references for these warnings. I'm not going to read them again, but um, just to recap, in Acts 20, 22, we saw the Spirit warned him that chains and afflictions would be waiting for him. In Acts 21, 4, we have the disciples who ask Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And in Acts 21, 11, we have the warning from Agabus, where he ties himself up with Paul's belt and says, this is what's going to happen to you. Um, we see three similar warnings in the life of Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 9 Luke 9, 21 through 22. Okay, this is um, Jesus speaking to his disciples. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Um, we have the second warning listed in uh, the same chapter, Luke 9:44. Let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And then we have the third warning listed in Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, insulted, spit upon, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. Uh, the other similarity that I'll cover today is that both had a resolution to do God's will. Um, we're probably all familiar with Luke twenty-two forty-two, where Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus knew what kind of awful punishment would be waiting for him, but he was still willing to bear it. And um, in the life of Paul, we've already seen today in a few verses that Paul had a similar attitude um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of those verses again for emphasis. Um, Acts 21.13. Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And Acts 20.22-24, 20, um, we pointed out mainly verses 22 and 23 earlier, but pay close attention to verse 24 this time. Um, and now I am on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of God's grace. So we've, we've taken a look at some of the similarities, but you may say, you, be, 
maybe saying, Jonathan, that's all well and good, but I see one glaring difference. And I will concede to you that there is difference. Paul doesn't die in this passage. This isn't where Paul dies. Um, Jesus was killed shortly after being handed over to the Gentiles by the Jews. By contrast, Paul does not die in this situation. Jesus' goal was to bear the punishment for the sins of the world so that whoever believed in him would have eternal life. To do that, he had to die. There were already prophecies about that. Um, And Paul's mission was to spread the message of Jesus' sacrifice to the people of Jerusalem, which, for all he knew, could have ended with his death. Um, Though he does not die here, um, it's not because of a lack of willingness. Um, We've seen multiple times this morning that Paul clearly was ready to die if that was what was required by God. When I was finishing up preparations for this message, um, I was reminded of Proverbs 3.3, which says, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In my view, Acts 21 shows us a man who strived to live by the words of this verse. Um, Paul was extremely loyal and faithful to his creator and savior, uh, willing to take on any mission that God gave him and willing to bear any consequences of that mission. Um, You know, we see all these warnings that people are giving him, even the Holy Spirit, and He's just like, no, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences. I'm going all the way to Jerusalem. I know it's not going to be convenient. That's what I've been called to do. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you again for this time that we could have to study your word, to uh, give praise and worship to you, and to fellowship with one another. Um, we thank you for the all the loyalty and faithfulness that uh, Paul showed towards you. Um, and we pray that you would allow each of us to have some of the same uh, loyalty and faithfulness. We pray that you would uh, help each and every one of us to um, find people in our lives who um, haven't discovered uh, the love that you have for them. Pray that um, you would just help us to be a, a guiding light for them and they would ultimately um, come to know you as their Savior. Uh, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Take your hymn books, please, and turn to hymn 591.